Here we go. You guys ready for a Bible study? Here we go. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 18. Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. Then we're going to move to chapter 9 of Matthew, verses 14 through 15. This is our Thrive Teaching Series, Habits of Grace. Um, the word blessed, you see it throughout the scriptures. The word blessed means to thrive. It means total fulfillment, complete well-being. Jacob wrestled all of his life to be blessed from his father in his marriage, through his possessions, but it all left him restless. You can read about that in Genesis 25 through 32. Those are chapters, Genesis 25 through 32. But it's interesting as you study that is that one lonely night in the dark, a mysterious person shows up and begins to wrestle with him all night long. When Jacob realizes that this is the Lord himself, he says this, pretty profound what he says. He says, I won't let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He finally realized that nothing else in life will give the deep blessing we crave most like God. That's what he came to the realization. I mean, he pursued it in all the different avenues in life horizontally, and he realized it's only going to come vertically. It's only come from God. And, uh, and that's what habits of grace are all about, spiritual disciplines. It's about hanging on to God and saying, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me until I'm thriving, until I, I know you, I'm walking with you, I'm experiencing you deep in my heart. This week, I'm going to push you. I'm going to push your game. I'm going to push you hard. You're going to leave here this morning different than what you came in. Believe me. And I'm going to push you really hard as it relates to this particular spiritual discipline. I want you to experience God in your life like never before. Take a look at your sermon notes, part of the intro. Few spiritual disciplines go so radically against our gluttonous and self-indulgent American culture like fasting. And yet, Jesus expected his followers to fast. We're going to see that in our text. Fasting is an exceptional way to rebel against the spiritual status quo and to express our holy discontent in a fallen world. And this is what I know. Everybody look up here. This is what I know. And I've seen this in my life, I've seen it in many other people's lives, is that whatever you give up, whatever you give up to become more fully devoted to Jesus is nothing, it's nothing compared to what you gain in knowing him and experiencing him in your life. And so as we talk about each of these disciplines, and particularly this discipline of fasting, there's some things you're going to be asked to give up. And yet I can guarantee you that if you give that up for him, you're going to gain so much more in your relationship with him. Let's begin with a word of prayer before we tackle this text and then unpack these notes. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. We thank you for this amazing time that we've just had in, in worship and song, and now we want to worship you in the study of your word. And so God, as it tells us in, in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. There's no doubt about it. We see it all around us. But you sent your son to give to us fullness of life. He died in our place for our sins to reconcile us to you so that we can thrive in our lives. Nothing in life will give us the deep blessing we crave most like you. So we pray this morning, teach us, 
Teach us this habit of grace, this spiritual discipline called fasting. Teach us what it is, when we should do it, and how to do it so that we can thrive, so that we can have that total fulfillment, complete well-being in you. Help us to have the heart of Jacob who said, we won't let you go until you bless us. And God, help us to realize that whatever we give up to more fully follow you is nothing compared to what we gain in walking with you, in living your word, in contributing to your work, and making an impact in this world, all for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. So it's really a wonderful text. Only, these are really the only instructions Jesus gave on fasting. And first of all, he starts with a negative command. Verse, four, uh, verse 16, uh, Matthew 6, this is the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus. And he says, and when you fast, notice he doesn't say if you fast, but when you fast, Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. I was thinking when I first read that of that Snickers uh, candy bar commercial. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where, Where it says in that commercial, you're not yourself when you're hungry. And that's kind of what he's saying here. You're not yourself when you're hungry, so don't let everybody know. Don't be mean to be, you know, to live with, but understand, you don't do it for the audience horizontally. In fact, the positive command here, verse 17, is to do it for that audience of one before the face of God. But, but when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. I love that. Audience of one before the face of God that you and I can interact with the living God, the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth. That's what he's saying. Now, he's actually helping us to see that uh, we should not be motivated out of fear and pride. Fear and pride can certainly restrain the heart, but only love transforms the heart. So fear and pride is wrong motivation. It would be called uh, common virtues. Jonathan Edwards would call it that, and many others would say, yeah, that's common virtue. Common virtue is, is more an extrinsic motivation, fear and pride. Pharisees are doing it seemingly more out of pride. Hey, look at me. Look what a great spiritual person I am. He says, don't do that. That's the wrong motivation. It should be motivated out of a heart that's smitten by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for you and you're responding to all that you have in him. Fear and pride can restrain the heart. Love transforms the heart. The gospel of love transforms our hearts and you begin to live for an audience of one. Now, we get a little bit confused when we forget the gospel, we become dependent upon the smiles and the affirmation and the evaluation of others. But when we find ourselves doing that, more concerned about the horizontal than we are the vertical, then we need to kind of correct that and say, hey, wait, wait a minute. That's what he's saying, wait a minute, I'm living for you and for your affirmation and for that that reward that comes from you. In fact, the promise is in verse 18b, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I was, uh, every morning I I work through the scripture, I try to get through the the Bible a couple times a year, and my text this last, uh, actually yesterday morning was just, oh my goodness, it was a sweet text, it was an amazing text, it's one of my favorite chapters in Psalm, Psalm 36, and in there it talked about feasting on the abundance of his house. Uses really descriptive language, really beautiful language, but feasting on the abundance of, of God's house and drinking from his river of delights. That's great language. 
Just, it's just kind of this inviting us to, to a, a soul satisfaction and a life liberation that is unlike anything you've ever experienced before. And, and it occurred to me as I was, I was reflecting on that, I was kind of meditating on it, just kind of savoring that just for a moment. I was just spending time with the Lord. I was just, oh, it was rich. It was good. And, and the Lord, I felt like the Lord spoke to me so clearly during that time is really that fasting is a kind of feasting on the abundance of his house and drinking from his river of delights. So when we, uh, when we fast in our life, we're actually giving ourselves opportunity to really feast on who God is and what he's done. Now, go to Matthew 9. If you have your Bible still open, go to Matthew 9. We'll look at verses 14 through 15, another text where Jesus talks about fasting. Chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, he says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, why do, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And listen to Jesus' response. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? What's the implication here? That he's the bridegroom. He's the coming Messiah. He's, he's it. He's the groom for the bride, the church, and so, and then he goes on, he says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away. And so he was taken away, that was his first coming, he's left. And from then, from them, taken away from them, and then they will fast. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So let me ask you this question. When was the last time you heard a teaching on fasting? When was the last time you fasted for spiritual purposes? And yet, uh, and yet Jesus expected his followers to fast. This is a spiritual discipline he expects us to do, not if, but when. What is fasting? Here's your first fill in the blank on your notes. Number one, it is the voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. It is the voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Or, number two, or it can be the abstaining from or denying yourself the enjoyment of something other than food. So it can be the abstinence from food or it can be something other than food. I, I gave you a list there, such as people. Do you ever feel kind of peopled out sometimes? You just need to kind of abstain from hanging out with people? You guys feel like that sometimes? You guys don't, okay. Okay, there's a couple of us that do. So, so yeah, sometimes, I mean, so I'm going to talk about it next week because we're going to talk about silence and solitude and there's appropriate times of silence and solitude but then there's an appropriate, appropriate balance of hanging out with others. So we tend to swing to one of those extremes. So there needs to be a balance. How about, uh, how about media? You get overloaded with media? How many can see by their attitude they've watched too much news or too much of this whole political process? Yeah, time to knock it off, huh? Time to stop watching that stuff. Nancy makes that very clear to me, and, and from time to time, we'll even fast media just because it just works out you. It eats away at you. And then how about sports? Oh, God forbid. <laughs> at least until I can fast once football season's over. What are you guys thinking, huh? I won't have any problem fasting if the Cardinals aren't going to do any better than what they have been doing, so... So if they don't start picking up the pace, they did a little bit better this last Thursday, so let's just, let's just hope that they do better from that point on. Otherwise, I will be fasting from football. <laughs> I can't bear to watch them get beat. But, uh, but then there's, I mean, so there's that. I mean, there's, an, there's also uh, a hobby. How about from talking, fasting from talking? How many have a few friends that you wish that they would fast from talking? <laughs> you guys thinking? <laughs> You've been praying for that a long time. Yes, sir. How about from sleep, fasting from sleep? Sometimes you, you fast from sleep and you don't even mean to. You're just in turmoil. You're in anguish. 
And I've done that many times. I've stayed up all hours of the night in anguish, praying, talking to God about it. We'll talk more about that as we work through that. How about this, from sex? Oh, somebody just woke up over here. Did he say sex? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 7.5 actually makes that clear to, to, to uh, fast from sex for a season so that you and your spouse can pray. Talks about that. Number three, the reason might be that we sense the activity is exerting too much influence on our hearts or our time and we need to fast from it to regain a more biblical perspective. So I'm gonna walk you through the process next week as we talk about silence and solitude. So you need to be so in touch with your emotional well-being that you know where the edge of your life is. You, You know what I'm talking about when I say the cliff, the edge, you're getting close to the edge. I used to not know where the edge was until someone pushed me over the edge, and it wasn't that they pushed me over the edge, I just didn't have much margin in my life, and I found myself over the edge. The slightest little thing, like the, it's like a, the straw that breaks the camel's back kind of analogy or, or word picture that I just, I didn't realize. I, didn't, I wasn't in touch with my emotional well-being or spiritual well-being or relational well-being. And so I just keep taking it, taking it, taking it, and eventually, boom, I was over the edge. I was going off on someone or not responding to a particular circumstance appropriately. I just like going off. And so silence and solitude is meant to help you to kind of walk through that and understand that. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. But, but that's, as you get in touch with that, you begin to realize that there's certain things in your life that, are, that have too much influence on you and you need to regain a more biblical perspective. Whatever that might be. You're watching too much football and that's got to, got a hold on your life or any it can be any number of things baseball okay got baseball fans here or at least one baseball fan yeah anything it can be absolutely anything and so number four or it might be simply that we want the freedom to become more absorbed in a particular spiritual focus so when you fast, there, there needs to be some sort of purpose, and so let, that takes us to the next question. Why should we fast? Let me give you a number of purposes for fasting. Fasting should be done for one of these biblical purposes. Number one, to sharpen my affections for God. Fasting can intensify spiritual desire. It is for those who are not satisfied with the status quo, for those who want more of God's grace, for those who are truly desperate for God. I love what Arthur Wallace says in his book, God's Chosen Fast. He says, and I quote, the man who prays with fasting is giving heaven notice that he is truly in earnest. Acts 13.2, we see that the early church fasted. They practiced uh, fasting in the, f- the first century church. Nehemiah 1.4, Nehemiah's response to the devastation of his people and homeland. Daniel 9.3, Daniel's prayer for his people. There's a guy that prays for me quite regularly. He sent me a text this morning, said I'm praying, sent me a text last night, I'm praying. And this is what he told me a couple weeks ago. He says, I get healed when I pray for the healing of others. Isn't that fascinating? I believe that. He said this to me, I am made new when I pray for you. And I believe that's really what you see in Nehemiah and Daniel is that they see the devastation around them and they begin to plead with God. They begin to pour their heart out to God. And in that process, it begins to sharpen their own affections for God. Here's the second reason to fast is to seek God's guidance. Judges 20, 26, they're going to war, so they need guidance. Acts 14, 23, they're appointing leaders. 
They're appointing elders, so they need guidance. So fasting does not ensure the certainty of receiving clear guidance from God, but it does make us more receptive to the one who loves to guide us. So, it's, so fasting is, just kind of helps you to, to tune in to what God is speaking to you and how he's wanting to guide you. And then number three is to express grief. Judges 20, 26, uh, they're grieving over the loss of their brothers in battle. For Samuel 20, 34, they're grieving over the sins of others and the sins of their country. We should be grieving over the sins of our country and fasting and praying for our country. We're living in pretty dire times. I don't know if you've noticed that lately, and it should break our hearts, and that's what we see to, to express grief. 1 Samuel 20, 34, grief over the sins of others or the sins of your country. 1 Samuel 31, 13, grief over the murder of King Saul and his sons in battle. 2 Samuel 1, 11 through 12, grief over the defeat of their nation. So, so fasting is a means of expressing to God the depths of our feelings. Fasting channels and expresses your holy discontent in a fallen world. And then number four, to seek deliverance or protection. Second Chronicles 23 through 4, to seek salvation from enemies or circumstances. Ezra 8, 21 through 23 is, is fascinating there. When Ezra was about to lead a group of exiles back to Jerusalem, he proclaimed a fast in order for the people to seek the Lord earnestly for safe passage. They were... Uh, they were to face many dangers without military protection during their 900-mile journey. Esther 4.16, they were seeking protection and deliverance. Psalm 109.24, personal and private fast against enemies. I'm really, I believe that after 9-11, because of much of the prayers and fasting that went on even after that, I think that it has, uh, for us, averted a lot of disaster that otherwise we could be facing, but I think that there is disaster awaiting us, and that's why we need to persevere in prayer and do some fasting for our nation. And um, once again, as I said last week, James 4, 2, and 5, 16, prayer causes things to happen that would otherwise not happen if we didn't pray. So when we pray and add fasting to that, it, it notches it up, kicks it up a few notches. It's, it's a greater intensity. You're telling God, I am serious about this. That's what you're doing. And the things happen. We need to pray for the moral, the economic, the political condition of our, of our country and, and of our culture. And then number five, to express repentance and return to God. We desperately need that. As a country, 1 Samuel 7, 6, Samuel the prophet, priest, judge, challenged the people of Israel to turn from their idols to God, and they did so by fasting. Joel 2, 12, the Lord specifically commanded the people to show their repentance through fasting. Jonah 3, 5 through 8, you're probably familiar with that. Jonah, remember the story of the well? Nineveh, yeah, there was a great spiritual awakening in Nineveh as a result of Jonah's preaching, and the people expressed their repentance through fasting. And then you have uh, six, number six, to humble oneself before God. First Kings 21, 27 through 29. I'm just giving you an overview. You need to really understand just how much the Bible does talk about fasting and, and prayer. First Kings 21, 27 through 29. One of the most wicked kings in Jewish history humbled himself before God through fasting and averted disaster. 
Psalm 35, 13, King David humbled himself before God through fasting. Luke 18, 12, this is an interesting one. This Pharisee is bragging to God in prayer that he fasts he fasted twice a week. Now, fasting, what it tells us here, is that fasting itself is not humility before God. Fasting itself is not humility before God, but should be an expression of humility because he's using his fasting as a, as a form of pride. Look at me. Wrong reason for fasting, pride or fear, should be love, should be our love for God. And so that's important. And then number seven, to, expre- to express concern for the work of God to express concern for the work of God. Nehemiah, back to Nehemiah chapter one, verses three through four. Nehemiah is in anguish over the spiritual condition of his people. When was the last time you were in anguish? I just talked to someone this morning in the first service. They said they're in anguish over what they're currently going through, what they're walking through. Nehemiah is in anguish over the spiritual condition of his people. Daniel 9.3, Daniel is overwhelmed by a heavy burden for the spiritual condition of his people. And if you continued reading from chapter 9 of Daniel and into chapter 10, now listen to me, everybody look up here. It's, it's quite, quite an eye-opener when you begin to study because Daniel continues to fast and pray and then there's an angel that shows up and Daniel says, like, what took you so long, man? I've been, like, I've been praying like crazy here. What took you so long? And the angel says, I was held up for 21 days. What? Yeah, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was interfering with my coming to you and Michael the archangel had to come in and help me beat him back. That's frightening. If you had a glimpse into the spiritual realm, if God would give you just a glimpse into the spiritual, that gives us a little bit of a glimpse. And when you study that and you think about it, you go, oh my goodness, what is going on that I cannot see? More than you would ever know or want to know. If for some reason the curtain could be pulled back just a tad and you could begin to see into the spiritual realm, I will guarantee you, you would wet all over yourself. You would, you would fall to you to the ground and pour your heart out to God and intercede for your family and friends unlike you ever have before. Listen to me, there's a, there's a spiritual battle raging. And from time to time, the Lord will pull back the curtain for me to see and it is overwhelming for the hearts and lives of people for all eternity. And it overwhelms me. And it puts me on my knees before a holy, righteous God, as I'm totally dependent upon him and interceding. There's a spiritual warfare that's going on. Listen, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's a fact. If he can't get you to go to hell, he's gonna fling as much hell into your life that he can to, to, just to, to sideline you in some way. If he can't get you to go to hell with him, he will bring as much hell into your life as he can to distract you. And so you, you get a glimpse of it here. It's just absolutely amazing. And so as you're, as you're fasting and praying, you're actually praying for God's presence, the presence of God's kingdom to begin to crowd out the efforts of hell in the lives of your family members. I mean, I go through my, all my family members. I go through this church family. I mean, I, I pray like crazy. I, I fast and pray a lot. My wife and I do a lot of fasting and praying. We intercede for this church family. I, I've done it for our, our game of life, any big events and anything that we're doing. And, and this is what you, you could join with me because this is what our country needs more than anything. 
We need a revival. We need a revival. We need God to pour out his Holy Spirit upon the church. So here's what you, you can pray. You can join with me in praying for these, these things. I, this is what I pray regularly. I pray that sleepy Christians would wake up. We've got a lot of sleepy Christians here in America today. And I pray that sleepy Christians would wake up, that nominal Christians would get saved. There's a lot of people just checking the church box, going through the motions. So I pray that sleepy Christians wake up, nominal Christians would get saved, and the church would become so beautified that hard-to-reach people would come to faith through local church families like Desert Breeze. And so for that to happen, there has to be conviction of sin. So here's another thing I pray. So I pray for sleepy Christians wake up, nominal Christians get saved, and the church would be beautified so that hard-to-reach Christians, hard-to-reach people would come to faith. But, then, but for that to happen, there has to be conviction of sin so that there would be conviction of sin compelled by God's grace and captivated by his presence, that is God's people, that we would be convicted of our sin and that we would be compelled by God's amazing grace. We'd see our dire condition, but the magnitude of his provision, grace, and the most important thing is that we have his presence and that we would be stoked, we'd be overwhelmed that we have his presence in our life and we would begin to live like it. And then people would begin to see that in our lives. Just a few things you can pray for. Expressing concern for the work of God. Here's the next one. Uh, to minister to the needs of others. Like I said, I, anytime I'm going to teach a class, like I've been fasting and praying for our Game of Life class. We've got 60 or 70 folks that are in that class even currently. So Isaiah 58, 3 through 7, to become more effective in meeting people's needs in ministry. And then number nine, to overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God. If you're struggling with something, you got a hurt, you got a habit, you got a hang up. Fasting and praying can help you to kind of work through that. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and then was tempted by the devil. And then number 10, it is a tool for enriching our enjoyment of Jesus. I actually love to fast. I didn't when I first started, but I actually love to fast. I love to pray. I love to study God's word I love, because I love his presence. I absolutely love his presence. And so fasting gives me a greater sense. It increases my capacity to experience more of God in my life. I love the example here of Luke 2.37. Anna, a widow, found her greatest pleasure and enjoyment in God through fasting and prayer. So what you're doing in fasting is that you're saying, that you love God more than food, that seeking him is more important to you than eating, that Jesus, the bread of life, John 6, 51, is more satisfying to you than your earthly bread. Another thing that I was taught by a pastor years ago that he would do is that he would actually delay his eating breakfast or any meal for that day until he had first spent time with the Lord. And he was basically practicing a little bit of what Job 23, 12, and he took me to Job 23, 12, where Job says, I desire to hear from you, God, more than my daily food. And so it was, it was almost kind of like he was saying to me, that's my heart, so I'm going to spend time with God before I actually even have breakfast. That would be a, a form of fasting, no doubt. I told you I was going to push your game. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to show you a, a, a video that I want, I want for you to really listen to, and I think that it, it's very relevant for our day and time. It's by a guy by the name of David Wilkerson who's now gone on to be with the Lord, but I think it's very, very relevant for today. Listen to what he says and allow it to touch your heart.
pretty, pretty hard hitting. I watched it uh, this last week. Um, it had been a while since I'd seen it, and I just wept. It's a prophetic voice to us today. It's David Wilkerson. Uh, if, you've, if you're familiar with him, crossing the switchblade years ago, back in the 70s, started Teen Challenge. I think that's very relevant for today. That's from God, I believe, to us. It's a wake-up call. And for those of you that are listening online, even now, I would encourage you to, I don't think we'll be able to put that online, but you can go to Google search David Wilkerson, A Call to Anguish. I would encourage you to listen to that and watch that. If that doesn't stir your heart, I pray for you. I pray for you. That should stir your heart and motivate you to, to this is serious stuff. We don't, we don't take it lightly here. And uh, so how do we do this? How do we, uh, how do we fast? Here's your next, next point on your notes. How do we fast? Start small. Number one, start small. One meal, then try two, and then work your way up to doing a day-long fast. Uh, my typical fast is usually about a 20-hour, 22-hour fast. Uh, it's, it's relatively easy to do a 24. You start, you eat uh, an evening meal, then you stop from that point on and go all the way through the next day into the next meal, and then you can break your fast with the, the next day's evening meal. That's one way, or you just miss a meal. You can do a, try a two-day juice fast. It's not recommended that you abstain from water. You need to keep yourself hydrated. So keep, keep um, drinking water. Number two, plan what you will do instead of eating. Seek more of God's fullness. Spend time in prayer, the time you normally would eat, or that you would take to, to eat. And then number three, consider how it will affect others. Fasting is no license to be unloving. People should feel more loved and cared for when you're fasting. I tell my wife when I'm going to be fasting and uh, so that we plan it around our, uh, so that she's not making a meal for me and I come in and tell her, I'm fasting. Why didn't you tell me that? So we kind of communicate that and a lot of times we'll fast at the same time. So keep that in mind. Consider how it will affect others. Um, I'll, also, I don't typically fast on weekends because I need to have the energy when I get up here for all three services, and there's other times that I won't fast, and so I, I usually do my fasting when I'm, I don't have a lot of uh, high-demand days, so just be careful with that. Uh, number four, try different kinds of fasting. There's personal, there's private, there's even partial, no sweets, cut out the sweets, no coffee. Oh, can't do that. Uh, there's congregational fast. I'm going to invite us to a congregational fast here in just a few moments. Uh, your small group can fast. Your family can fast. You can fast over a difficulty in society, this current election. Desert Breeze leadership, lost loved one. Number five, fast from something other than food. Some health conditions keep even the most devout from the traditional course. And so try other things that you can fast. Consider that. I know some of you are thinking, can I fast from work for a couple years? <laughs> I'm just thinking along those lines. Number six, transpose your hunger pains into focused attention on Christ or a great cause. Those hunger pains can be ferocious. They, they, they will hammer you. I know for me, they really work me over. And uh, I'll wash them out with a lot of water, so I really hydrate myself a lot. And so... Uh, as you're having that pain when your stomach aches, turn your attention to Jesus or some great cause of his in the world. So what I typically do is when I start feeling that, and it, it comes up regularly, I just say, God, 
as much as I want to eat, that's how much more I want you. I want you even more. And I use that as an opportunity for prayer and just pouring my heart out to him. Or as I'm, as I'm struggling with wanting to eat, I just pour my heart out in regards to a particular cause. I'm saying, oh God, pour your spirit. Invade that person's life with your presence. I pray for my kids like that. Oh my goodness. I pray for the kids in this church. I, I get a chance to go out there and look at those kids. And I look, at, look into their faces and you go into the youth group and look into their faces. Man, I, I just pray that I pray that they have an encounter with the living God, that they know him, that they experience him. I know that's your heart too. And so Christian fasting seeks to take the pains of hunger and transpose them into a great cause, fighting against some sin in your own life, pleading for someone's salvation or for the cause of the unborn or longing for greater taste of Jesus. Now I wanna transition and talk to you a little bit about what God's been doing here at Desert Breeze, kinda show you where we're headed as a church family. We kicked off a Dare You to Move 2.5 campaign. Uh, It will be two years ago this coming January. And uh, so I just wanted to bring you up to speed. We haven't talked much about it in the last couple of years, and we thought, well, you know what, we need to probably bring it up again and talk about it, and you'll probably hear this more regularly and quarterly because we have some, some urgent needs that we need to address and work on. And so watch this video, and then we'll talk more about it. Take a look at your sermon notes there. DBCC is built with this underlying conviction, whatever the capacity for human sin and suffering, the church has a greater capacity through the gospel for healing and wholeness. I'm more convinced of that today than ever before. How about, how about you? You guys, okay, that's kind of light there. That's not much enthusiasm. Do you guys, let, me, let me reread that statement. Do you guys believe this statement? You guys believe this statement? Look at this. Desert Breeze is built with this underlying conviction. Whatever the capacity for human sin and suffering, the church has a greater capacity through the gospel for healing and wholeness. How about you? Yeah, praise God. Yeah, right on. Praise God. I'm convinced of that more than ever before. I've been doing this a long time. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. 
John 10.10, 10, thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life, have it to the fullest. You might thrive. And so as a, as a church family, this is where we are. We, uh, we, we have grown by over 40% since we have moved into our new facility three years ago this month, which is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, that's just, that's unbelievable. And we have hit our lid we have hit our lid, we need more room, we need more ministry help. We suffer from what is known as sociological strangulation. And uh, with our nursery, with our toddlers, with our children's church, with our junior and senior high, with our adult services. My wife and I went to New York City a number of years ago and we went to Little Italy. Anybody ever been there? A lot of fun. Walking down the street there, we were looking for a restaurant that was recommended. We went to that restaurant that was highly recommended and it was too packed out. I mean, this is wall-to-wall people, It'll take forever to get in there. We said, ah, never mind, we're not gonna go there. So we walked down the street, a little bit further, came to another restaurant where there was only like a couple people sitting in a restaurant, and we looked and go, mm, never mind. And uh, it did, I mean, you only have a few people sitting in one restaurant. You got one restaurant packed out, you just got a few in this one, so we thought, oh, must not be very good. So we went a little bit further, came to a restaurant where there was just the right number of people. There was a lot of people, and yet there was still plenty of room. We felt welcomed. We were able to find a seat, get in there. It was good. And, and that's what happens oftentimes with a church like ours. We hit our lid probably about a year and a half ago. And so uh, there have been people that have come here and said, mm, there's too many people. We're out of here. How do I know that? Because they've told me. There have been people that have, been, that have turned away from this place, either because of the, the busyness of our kids or the adult service, or just trying to find their way around. And uh, so typically when you have a building, you don't want to max it out, even like this is maxed out here this morning. And uh, I mean, we got a few places, but you don't want to go beyond 80%. You want to keep it at about a 70% because you still have that room. Otherwise, you, you get into a, what is known as sociological strangulation. And so we've, we have, you know, seen people turn away because of this sociological strangulation. And this is our heart, and this is what you need to understand, is that there are 200,000 unchurched people within a five-mile radius of this church right here that desperately need to hear the gospel message. And though we are packed out week in and week out, we still have a little bit more room on Saturday night. We're, we're filling that up. We're filling it up last night, but most unchurched people won't come on a Saturday night. They'll typically come on a Sunday morning in one of these uh, services. And, uh, and so there's 200,000 unchurched people within a five-mile radius of this church. And if we don't do something to try to reach out to them, basically what we're saying to them is that they can go to hell. And I wanna, want us to do everything we can along with all of the other churches in the community to reach as many people as we can with the gospel message. So we want to... This is an urgent message. This is really important for us because we want to continue to, to reach lost people with the message of Jesus Christ and what he's doing here at Desert Breeze. And then we're not going to go into plague debt, as, as you probably know. We've, we don't want to go into debt, and we're not going to go into the, what is known as plague debt. We need your help. And so what we did to kind of buy some time is that we, we built out an overflow room. There's those that are in the overflow. Thank you for being there. Overflow room. We've actually got two overflow rooms. One's in 106. The other one's in 107. And so we've got a couple overflow rooms there. But we've, we're also, uh, that's called the breezeway, by the way. And then we're, we have, are, are expanding our youth room to accommodate the massive growth that we have with our youth. I, I love that. 
We've been packing out our youth room back there and our kids are hearing the gospel message. That is absolutely fantastic. We love that. So we're, we're gonna go ahead to buy some time and we're gonna build that out. We're in the process of doing that right now. But here's the campaign purpose and this is what I want to challenge you with. And by the way, you need to know that we own all the way from here, this wall, all the way around. We've got three leasers, which is great income for us. It's a really smart business deal. But we've got 35,000 square feet that we need to build out that we want to build out. We need to add a couple hundred seats to this, this room here. We want to make bigger all of our kids' classrooms and everything that we're doing here. And so here's our, my challenge for you. Here's the campaign purpose to inspire DB family to, more fully, to be more fully devoted to Christ and taking steps of faith in our 5G discipleship process. And so that's the first thing. So here's my challenge for you, first of all. Where are you in your full devotion to Jesus Christ? And what is God speaking to you? So there's a 5G process here. The first one is a genuine Christian, someone who's made a commitment to Christ and to a church family. That might be where you are. You haven't even made a commitment to Christ. I would encourage you to do that and then make it public through water baptism in our baptism party here in a few weeks. That would be your next step. Maybe your next step is that you've made that commitment. You're committed to the desert breeze, but you're not plugged into a small group. You're not connecting with others. You're not practicing the spiritual disciplines that we're talking about. That would be your next step. Maybe you're doing genuine and you're growing, but you're not giving. So that would be your next step. You begin to give and you help out financially or you, uh, or you get involved in ministry. We need a, a ton of help. Uh, we need not only more space, but we need more help. Our greatest needs are nursery, toddler, and preschool. I love that because we are really a young church with a whole lot of kids. And so there's two areas of giftings or ministry. There's a primary ministry and there's a secondary ministry. I don't know if you knew this, but as a Christian, you've been called to a primary ministry and secondary ministry. Primary ministry is where you're gifted. Secondary ministry is where you're needed. And you're willing to do either, either one or both. And so, so we're certainly uh, needed there, so that's a genuine growing, giving, and then, then the th fourth G is going. Maybe that's where you're at. You need to start inviting your family and friends. Even though we're packed out, we're going to continue to do all we can to reach lost folks. We'll just, we're going to make room. We'll do all that we can to make room for them. And then, of course, the fourth G is a glorifying. You're going to do it all for God's glory. What is your next step? Here's the next part of the campaign. Together, raising money for the purpose of the development and enhancement of our church home to its fullest capacity to better reach seekers and build believers to full devotion to Jesus Christ. So, so far, we've already saved up just under $600,000 and by the way, we've done so well. You guys have given so faithfully to our general fund. We've been able to take 100000 out of that general fund and put it into the Dare You to Move fund. And so you guys are really generous and doing really a good job there. What we're asking for you to do is to give over and above what you give generally and, and to the general fund. Many of you are already doing that. That's why we have the 600000 in that. What we need to do is raise another 900000 so that we can bust the walls out, build this out, so that we can reach more folks with the gospel message. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Fast one meal this next week, or TV or whatever, and begin to ask God, just you and God, and ask him, what is my next step in full devotion to you? Kind of looking at that 5G process, where are you in this being, becoming more fully devoted to him? And then ask him what role he would have you play financially in our Dare You to Move 2.5. He might say, you're good. Stay right where you're at. You don't need to do anything. He might say that to you. And I'm cool with that if that's what he speaks to you. 
I would encourage you to, to take this uh, in the bulletin. There's, a, there's, a, there's this, and you can make a one-year commitment on the back of that card. Drop it in the box in the next couple weeks or so. Let us know. Or it could be one lump sum if you have $100,000 laying around somewhere. <laughs> Blow the dust off of it and bring it in. We'll put it to use. And so uh, there's that. There's also this brochure that tells you a little bit more. You can go online and learn more about it. It's on our website. It's on the front page, sliding banner. You'll see 2.5, uh, dare you to move, 2.5. And hit that. It'll take you to a back page. And we have all the messages when we kicked off the campaign. Those messages would, would inspire you just to, to hear the 5G process. We go through that 5G process. We talk all about that. There's also some phenomenal testimonies on there. So I would encourage you to consider doing that because I'm convinced that whatever you give up to follow him is nothing compared to what you will gain. Let's pray. In fact, what I want to pray is the theme verse for this campaign, which is Second Chronicles 16.9. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that your eyes are going to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for those who are fully devoted to you so that you can show your power in their behalf. We've seen that happen right here at Desert Breeze. God, we know that fullness of life and full devotion to you are one and the same pursuit. So God, we wanna be fully devoted to you. So as we fast this next week, speak to our hearts what our next step is in becoming more fully devoted to you and what role you would have us play financially in building out this great facility that you have given to us to its fullest capacity to better reach seekers and build believers to full devotion to Jesus Christ. God, we pray that at Desert Breeze, may we be people radically devoted to Christ, genuine Christians, relentlessly passionate to grow in Christ, growing Christians, irrevocably committed to serving one another for Christ, giving Christians, contagiously dedicated to reaching those outside of Christ, going Christians, motivated by the glory of Christ, glorifying Christians as we experience an unleashing of your power in and through our lives in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.